0: Coming to you live from the Republic of Texas and broadcasting around the world, this is the Max McGuire Show. This is our last chance to take this country back. That's true. Listen, it doesn't matter that Joe Biden is losing his mind; he still betrayed this country. Come on, man! So get ready because the Max McGuire Show starts. Coming to you live from the Republic of
1: Texas and broadcasting around the world, this is the.
0: Welcome back, little hot mic. To another edition of the Max McGuire Show. My name is Max McGuire. Thanks everyone for being here. Wasn't able to broadcast yesterday. Um, My son had to go to the dentist. Which uh, turned into him needing to have cavities filled. So uh, that was an interesting day yesterday. My mic's really hot today. So a couple people recommended that I turn my mic up. And I think I just turned it up a little bit too hot. Let me just turn it down a little bit. And then turn this up. Let me know how my mic is throughout. Um, Lots to talk about today. This is something that I wish I would have talked about a little earlier, though in hindsight now I'm able to react to the people who reacted. 2,000 Mules documentary from Dinesh D'Souza and True the Vote detailing ballot harvesting taking place in a number of states, including Georgia and uh, Wisconsin. Very good documentary. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you watch it. I think it costs 20 bucks. There are a couple of places you can watch it for free. Um, if you don't want to pay for it, um, I understand. People don't have a ton of money these days. You find, I think I posted a link of one of the one of the mirrors. Lots of organizations are now broadcasting it for free. I think OAN was doing it a couple of days ago. So there are lots of ways to watch this documentary for free. I highly recommend that you do it. What I'm not going to do on this episode is I'm not going to rehash an hour and a half movie. Dinesh D'Souza is an excellent filmmaker. He's an excellent storyteller. I am not going to try and do a better job of telling this story than he did. What I am going to do, though, is I am going to react to the mainstream media's desperate attempt and refute their desperate attempts to fact-check, fact-check this 2,000 Mules movie. And at the same time, I will point out a couple of critiques, honest criticisms, constructive criticisms, that I would have for Dinesh D'Souza and True the Vote as they prepare to release their data, which they've promised they will do. They've promised that they will release their data, which is important because obviously the film is an hour and a half. You can't put all the data in it. But they need, to do, they need to release it so we can all look at it and so we can model it for future elections as well. Hopefully this doesn't get hidden as proprietary as so many other um, attempts to uncover election fraud Get get covered under proprietary, um, copyrights. So let, let's dive into this, right? So the fact checks are many. You have the Washington Post putting out analysis, analysis saying that Two Thousand Mules offers the least convincing election fraud theory yet. Personally, as far as I'm concerned, this is the most convincing election fraud theory yet because it doesn't require you to get into the proprietary code of a voting. Systems manufacturer. It doesn't require you to crunch numbers. This, in my opinion, is the most convincing because it is the most tangible. It is the most easy to explain to people and it is something you can see with your own eyes. I will play a couple of the clips today. Again, if you want to see all of them, I highly recommend that you watch the documentary. It did cover a lot of the same things that we've known. And that is um, obviously. You can't blame them for that because they're putting this movie out for a wider audience. Uh, having covered the issue of election fraud now for over two years, seems like forever. Talking about ballot harvesting is, is something that I've been, I've done a lot about. I've talked a lot about. It. A couple of people have criticized me in recent days in the comment section uh, on Telegram saying that I don't believe that there was election fraud in the 2020 election. That's not true. I do believe there was election fraud. They've criticized me for not covering this every day, and my position has always been very clear. When there's something to talk about, I will talk about it, right? When there's something to talk about, I will talk about. What I'm not going to do is make this show just be regurgitating the same thing over and over and over again without any changes, which is one of the reasons why I haven't covered the New Mexico audit. Um, From what I've read into it, from what I've watched on other shows, the New Mexico audit didn't really uncover a whole lot that was new. I know that The New Mexico auditors proved, they say, that the Dominion voting system machines can actually print out ballots. That's something we've known for a long time. And I believe if you you even go on YouTube videos um, of different Dominion executives and salespeople walking through how the adjudication process of these machines works and how, yes, the machines can print ballots. Yes, they can take a blank ballot and print results onto it, print actual votes onto it. You have to go. It's been a while since I've watched those videos. So you, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are videos already out there proving this, that these machines can, through the adjudication process, print actual circles filled in ovals on the ballot. So it, it's not, it wasn't news. So One of the reasons why I didn't cover the New Mexico audit is because there's lots of drama surrounding it. And, and until I really figure out what the hell's going on, I don't really, I, I mean, apparently um, you had... Um, You had some people working on the audit and then they got subpoenaed by Congress and then they stopped and then Lynn Wood backed out. It's lots of conservative drama. I don't want to deal with that conservative drama. I'm looking at the findings and in my opinion, the findings haven't been too groundbreaking. Anyone who wants to disagree with me, fine. Maybe I just haven't seen it. But in terms of I mean, if you're going to audit a county, I, I want to see results beyond just what we already knew already, which again, that, that was my initial criticism for Dinesh D'Souza, but I can't really go with that because not everyone has been reading into and covering this as much as I have, or as much as even listeners of this show or my last podcast have. So I, I don't think that this is the least convincing election fraud theory, because it, as I said earlier, it's the most tangible. The idea that people took ballots and put them in drop boxes that they shouldn't have is a lot easier to explain than, oh, well, they hacked into this and they got around this and they did this with the machines, right? I mean, that's all theoretical. Everything that's been discussed as as it relates to machines impacting the election has all been theoretical. No No one has proven that it happened. And that was one of the sticking points that I had with Joe when I was on Conservative Daily Podcast. He was so adamant that, oh, this happened, this happened. And I'm looking at it and I said, well, yeah, that's an excellent theory. It may be true, but we don't know yet. We don't know. And, And that was at a time when there were lots of competing theories, lots of competing theories of what happened, because I think we all agree when we woke up the day after the election and we saw that, oh, Joe Biden was now winning, it didn't sit right. And then we saw the videos coming out of, I think I have one of them up here, of, uh, here we go. This is uh, the 3 a.m. Uh, i let this one. This is a really old video. I was going to play it later, but this is from Philadelphia. This is a woman sitting there stuffing ballots into a ballot drop box in the middle of the day on election day over and over and over again. If you know Pennsylvania law, I'll discuss it later when it comes up. As we get through this, she's not allowed to do that, except for a really rare circumstance where someone is too ill to show up on Election Day and they have an, what's called an emergency absentee ballot. That's the only time you can sign over the right to drop it off to someone else. So, I mean, the idea that this woman is there because she just happens to be have like essentially a power of attorney, whatever it is to drop off ballots for dozens of people who just all feel ill at the same time on election day, it's not believable. I mean, that's obviously fraud. It is very obviously fraud. So we've known this for a while, right? We, we've seen things that we just know just doesn't feel right. And when you look at it, you just know that that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be kicking reporters and observers and challengers out of um, the arena in Fulton County claiming that there's a pipe burst when in reality it was an overflowed toilet hours earlier that was fixed. That shouldn't happen. And then when you lift up, when you lift up the, uh, the tablecloth, all of a sudden, wow, there's a suitcase of ballots that no one knew about because it was hiding under a tablecloth, and we're just going to run them through the machines. I mean, so, so we've all known that there's something really wrong with this, and we've had a lot of theories. And it's possible that multiple theories will prove true. It's possible that, that the election was stolen in one way in a certain state, in a different way in other states. It's possible that both things were happening simultaneously. All of that is truly, truly possible. We just don't know, right? So I- until we can actually access machines, um, we can access machines and get into it and prove that so-and-so pushed the button that did it, it's still just a theory. But in terms of 2,000 mules... Where they've gone into geolocation data off of people's phones, followed people from ballot drop box to ballot drop box to ballot drop box, then to a Democrat-leaning nonprofit, then back to ballot drop box to ballot drop box, that's more tangible. Again, I don't think it's impossible that there was electronic fraud. I know Joe Oltman, that's his thing. He believes it. And anytime I would say, well, what about the ballot harvesting? He would shout that, no, that didn't happen. It was the electronic, Right. Now they're singing a different tune with 2,000 mules, and that's fine. That's a theory. But until we prove that theory right, this is the best, in my opinion, theory for how some of these elections got stolen. Actual ballot harvesting, the mules dropping off ballots. Because remember, this was all about let's flood, let's flood the states with as many mail-in ballots as possible. Remember, Pennsylvania unconstitutionally changed its law to get rid of Um, the requirements for absentee ballots. In Pennsylvania, they used to have strict requirements. You can only get an absentee ballot if you're out of state, if you're injured, if you're on hospice care, things like that. They got rid of it to make it no questions asked. They send out all of these applications to everyone. And then, well, what happens? The mules go and collect them, either filled in or not. And if not, then they fill them in themselves and then drop them off. I mean, that's something we've known happened. We've known that that happened for a long time. When you see the, the delivery van at the TCF Center in Michigan arriving at 3.30 a.m. and them taking like baskets and baskets and baskets out of the van, that's not electronic. That's good old-fashioned ballot stuffing. So we're going we're gonna to be talking about this good old-fashioned ballot stuffing today. And as promised, we are going to go through these fact checks because I'm not going to go through the Washington Post one because it's trash, saying that it's the least convincing election theory yet. This is another one claiming that 2,000 mules is an exercise in exploiting Trump supporters for money. I don't remember any of these reporters saying the same when Michael Moore put out a documentary. It's not exploiting. This is, he's done a lot of research and his work with True the Vote is legitimate. We're going to go through that. Saying that this is, this is itself a grift, I don't think you can say filmmaking is a grift. Just like I don't believe anyone who writes a book, which I guess I'm in that category, writes a book. I don't think that's a grift. You're putting out something tangible, trying to educate people. But no, that's the other one, that it is a exercise in exploiting Trump supporters for money. I don't think I believe that. So let's get into the actual fact check. We're going to go through a couple fact checks here. But this first one is from PolitiFact. And you'll notice from the headline, it says, the faulty premise about the 2000 Mules trailer about voting by mail in the 2020 election. So you can see this is dated. When is this dated? This was dated, I believe it was dated a week ago. A little over a week ago. So even though the whole movie was out, they based their fact check on the trailer. I'll say that again. Even though the movie itself was out an, about an hour and a half long, I think, they based their fact check on the trailer. Let's read a little bit of this fact check. Well, here, here's their part. Let's read the part Their if your time is short. This is their too-long-didn't-read version. What they think you should really take home you only have a little time and can't read the whole thing. It says, if the, tw- the 2020 president- presidential election was secure and evidence from state and federal officials and courts shows no indication of widespread fraud. Well, the whole point of this documentary is to show that there are facets that have not been looked at by courts or by federal or state officials. I mean, just because a federal state official hasn't looked at it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But no, they had to throw this in there. Was safe and secure. Safest and most secure election ever. While th- authorities have isolated cases of voter fraud, these instances were in such small numbers that would not change the election's outcome. This is the other bit that they love to talk about, that even when you find fraud, they say it's not enough. Well, th- this is, again, fallacious because no police officer, no law enforcement agency is ever able to catch all of the criminals committing a specific crime. Just because they catch one they're, they're expecting us to believe that these law enforcement agencies have a 100% catch and conviction rate for election thieves. We know that's not the case. I don't know what the number is, but for every one, there's X number that do not get indicted, that do not get charged, and do not get convicted. But they say, oh no, wouldn't have affected the outcome. A documentary by Dinesh D'Souza, a far-right commentator. Why is that in here? For a fact check, that's a little, bit, a little bit biased. Furthers the myth that something sinister occurred with mail ballots during the 2020 election. Sousa told Fox News that mules delivered 400,000 illegal votes. That's something I'm going to talk about later. That seems to be an inference, an extrapolation. They identified the number of suspected mules. They identified the average number of ballots that a mule would drop at a box, calculated the number of boxes, the average number of boxes they stopped at, multiplied it all be- together, and found this number of 400,000. They say experts, though, say the evidence is inherently flawed. We'll get to that in a second. And they say many states have laws allowing people to return completed mail ballots on behalf of others, such as family members. Ballot drop boxes are more secure than standard mailboxes. So even when you see in a bit, if you haven't already watched it, these videos of people shoving in a dozen ballots, we're supposed to believe they have a dozen adult children and one spouse living at home. I mean, that's what they're saying we should believe. Let's actually get into this. D'Souza's poor record with the truth. So if you're ever arguing, the worst way you can start an argument would be by attacking the other person. I mean, you're not supposed to attack their character. You're not. It's a a logical fallacy. So they start off by saying that D'Souza was uh, in charge of a conservative publication at Dartmouth College, and he published an interview with the KKK member, a former KKK member, and publicly outed members of the college's Gay Student Alliance. So because he edited a paper that talked to a former KKK member and mentioned who was in the school's Gay Student Alliance, that means he's just inherently not trustworthy because he worked with Ronald Reagan and the American Enterprise Institute and spent two years at King's College. We're told that he should not be trustworthy because he was he pled guilty to a felony of campaign finance violation which I've talked about in the past, you can see how that was trumped up. They're saying he should not be trusted. This is the last thing you should do when you want to make an argument. The fact check should not be fact checking the person. You should be fact checking the claims. They start with this. Then they say he did a bo- had a book that did pretty well. <laughs> He's, I mean, they're calling him a conspiracy theorist, right? They're calling him a conspiracy theorist. And remember, they are not fact checking the film. This is a fact check against the trailer, but social media companies are applying it to anyone who talks about the film. So these people that they're interviewing right now only saw the trailer, reacted to the trailer. And as a result, the social media companies are using it to censor people talking about the entire movie. So here's the, the allegations in the trailer stem from cell phone data, which is true. The 2000 Mules trailer begins with an out of context clip Joe Biden talking before the election about pulling together, quote, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Litifact says, quote, Biden was describing a project to help people learn where and how to vote legally. But the chair falsely frames his quote as an admission to election fraud, end quote. Well, no, that, that we heard him say it. And these are opinions, right? He said it. Those words, he said it. Those are quotes. After it, his team, his campaign team Put out a statement say oh he meant to say this but anyone looking at it and looking at everything he's going through with his mental decline you know that people in these stages of mental decline tend to be honest like brutally honest and like uncomfortably honest and they tend to spill secrets they're not supposed to spill so when they fact check this that's not fact that's an opinion they're presenting the opinion as fact the trailer then cast doubt over the security of the election, asking, do we know the truth about what really happened? They talked about how they used True the Vote, a conservative organization, I said it spread misinformation in the past. True the Vote, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht told Newsweek that her group obtained geospatial information and ballot dropbox surveillance video from counties and cities in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. So let's talk about this bit because I want to play a little bit of the film if you haven't seen it, so you know what we're talking about. We're talking about geolocation. Geolocation, when you have a phone, when you have a cell phone, your cell phone has a lot of sensors in it. Obviously, GPS is a main sensor. GPS, global positioning, satellite, kings you so you know exactly where on the planet you are. It's not perfect. Not in a long shot. I took a picture on my phone just before I came on, you can see here here sitting in my home and my phone's warning me that accuracy is low. And you can see that circle, right? There's a pretty big circle there. And, and that's the phone saying, we can't tell exactly where you are because I have really bad service in my house. I got to get off my carrier. It's accuracy is low. So I took four pictures just in the span of five seconds. And you can see it here. You can see how my phone is shifting, even though I'm sitting completely still. So this is a, uh, this is a flaw, with GPS data. If you do not have a great signal, if you do not have great triangulation between different towers, it's possible for it to be slightly off. And you see here, when I took the, these four pictures and I put them together in a GIF, this is over like five or six seconds of how it has me moving around. And anyone who's used a map, unless you have really good signal and unless you're driving on a road and can tell you're driving on a road, it can sometimes bounce you around. So it's not Perfect. It's not perfect by any way, shape, or form. But GPS data, traditionally, has been good enough. I want to go to this one because this is from actually from Breitbart. I, I can't believe that Breitbart published this. Breitbart published the Associated Press's fact check on 2000 Mules. They published it without commentary, letting AP just use Breitbart to, to do all this bunk. So let's go down to the part where they're talking about... Um, the geospatial data Uh, where's the gp here we go um so the claim is the fact check some of the mules true the vote identified in georgia were also geolocated oh that's a violent antifa rides um so basically they're they're claiming that you can't rely you can't rely on here it is okay um they, they talked to a University of Notre Dame professor. Sorry, I had to follow. I I thought that this was labeled specifically. They talked to a University of Notre Dame professor, Aaron Strigel, professor of computer science and engineering. And what he said was, quote, you could use cellular evidence to say that person was in the area. But to say that they were at the ballot box, you're stretching it a lot. There's always a pretty healthy amount of uncertainty that comes with this. And the fact check from AP published on Brightpart says, what's more about drop boxes are often intentionally placed in busy areas, such as college campus libraries, government buildings, apartment complexes, increasing the likelihood that innocent citizens got caught up in the group's dragnet. Similarly, there are legitimate reasons why someone might be visiting both a nonprofit's office and, those, and one of those busy areas. They, they do a lot of hypotheticals here. Delivery drivers, postal workers, cab drivers, poll workers, elected officials, all have legitimate reasons to cross paths with a number of drop boxes and nonprofits at a given day. So they're, they're fact-checking and claiming that you cannot trust the geospatial data. So before I get into why they're wrong, I wanna play, as I said, a little bit from 2000 Mules. This is the part where they talk about the geo-tracking. just to explain it for anyone who hasn't already watched the film. Go ahead and go play this, it's cut two.
1: What, Greg, is geo-tracking? So the idea is to collect the signals that are emitted from your phone your cell phone is delivering information to apps that are collecting that ping. So there are four key coordinates, the lat, long, the elevation, and the time. And with that data, we can then build a pattern of life around you. So that phone's here right now. Well, where is it going to be at 5 o'clock? And where is it going to be tonight?
2: Well, here's my cell phone. My, my cell phone is off. Can, you, can I be geotracked even with the cell phone being off? Possibly. Depending on the apps. Depending that are on the, the apps. Depending That's on. That's what marketing ha- companies do all day, every day. Now, this is the point. We were just at we were at the CBS Apple store and at and CBS, best, yeah. and on both occasions they knew right. where you we knew. were evidently. Absolutely. And they were telling you about specials, yeah, and yeah. they were so people
1: right. have experience of this. There's 300,000 or so apps that that gather that data, and then they sell it to brokers.
2: Isn't it also true that this geo-tracking has now become a vital tool for the military, for the intelligence agencies, and for
1: law enforcement? Indeed, they're using it almost every day. I'll say that there's no question amongst anyone that I know in the community that many, if not all, of the people that were involved in the situation at the Capitol on January 6th were being tracked Previous to January 6th, because they already knew what their pattern of life was. They already knew who to look at.
0: So that's true. That's absolutely true. That when you look at January 6th, they are using cellular GPS data to indict and convict people they accused of protesting illegally at the Capitol. This is one headline. Um, I, I think this is New York Times, it might be Wash Post. Headline's quote police let most Capitol riders riders walk away but cell phone data and videos could now lead to more arrests that was from January 8th. Take that down put up put up image 6. FBI uses geolocation data to ensnare alleged Capitol Hill rider and this is something that's happening over and over and over again. I didn't even have to dig that far. The FBI has a page where they list every one of the indicted January 6th protesters alphabetically. So I went to the first one on the list, a man by the name of Jared Hunter Adams. Personal list because of Adams, his last name. And you can see right here from the actual the facts of the case that the prosecution presented to the judge. They say, quote, according to records lawfully obtained from Google, a mobile device associated with his email was presented at the was present at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Google estimates device location using sources, including GPS data and information about nearby Wi-Fi access points and Bluetooth beacons. This location data varies in its accuracy depending on the sources of the data. As a result, Google assigns a map display radius for each location data point. Thus, where Google estimates that its location data is accurate to within 10 meters, Google signs a map display radius of 10 meters. Finally, Google reports that its map display radius reflects the actual location of the covered device approximately 68% of the time. In this case, Google location data shows that a device associated with his email was within the US Capitol from approximately 2.53 p.m. until approximately 4.40 p.m., For a total approximate time inside the Capitol of one hour, 47 minutes, Google records show that the map display radius for this location was less than 100 feet, which encompasses an area that is partially within the U.S. Capitol building. Now, obviously, they have him on tape. They have him on camera. They can prove that he was in the building, right? This is not the crux of their evidence, but they are using it and claiming that GPS data can be admissible in proving someone's location. So when you see fact checkers at AP or uh, PolitiFact or any other organization claiming that GPS data is not trustworthy. At the very same time, they are applauding the fact that the prosecutors in the DOJ are using geolocation data from, from people's cell phones to get convictions from January 6th. But it's more than that. It's even more than that because we also learned last week that the CDC was buying the same data, the same data that True the Vote bought, CDC was buying it as well. From the week headline, quote, the CDC reportedly monitored the location data of millions of phones. Why did they do that? They did that, quote, from another article from New York Post, CDC bought cell phone data to track vaccination and lockdown compliance. What's not in there is they were also using it to try and figure out social distancing, whether people were truly being socially distant. So the question is, If the social distance guidelines at the time were, what, six feet? Six feet apart? If the CDC is comfortable enough to buy this data to try and prove whether or not individuals stayed six feet apart, well, that obviously means that this data has some trustworthiness in regards to how accurate it is. But it's also, I mean, they were using this for public policy. So, when you see these fact checkers claiming that GPS data isn't trustworthy, know that the FBI is using it against the January 6th protesters, and the CDC is using it to, to figure out whether or not you stayed six feet away from people. They're also using it to try and figure out vaccination rates, which I guess they were looking at how many people were going into places that were administering vaccines, which, again, based on what the fact checkers are saying, that shouldn't be reliable. But the CDC obviously believed it was. Dinesh D'Souza put out a tweet shortly after all these fact checks, asking, quote, the CDC is geotracking people to see if they're social distancing. If geotracking were not highly precise and accurate, as the bogus fact checkers claim, how could the CDC use it to determine if people are standing six feet apart? It's the, it's the ultimate question. So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But the easiest way to refute, the easiest way to refute the claim that GPS is not accurate in figuring out whether someone committed a crime, well, I'll just put it up on the screen a GPS ankle monitor. When people are put on house arrest, they are given a GPS ankle monitor. And the reason that this location data is admissible in court is because it's accurate. Now, there are false positives. Absolutely. There are false positives where people, where the GPS kind of puts them outside the boundary. Cops have to go verify they're there. Whatever. The point being, though, that when the GPS data shows that they've left the boundary, that is evidence enough for police to begin investigating. Right? It, it, that gives them the probable cause that a, a crime may have just been committed, and they rush in to check whether someone is where they say they are. We use GPS data all around this country to track not, not, sometimes convicted criminals on house arrest, but also indicted individuals, defendants who are on house arrest pending their trial. We do this every day. And the only cases I've been able to find where this data was thrown out was when it was unlawfully acquired. Situations where someone is on state house arrest, has a state ankle monitor, and the feds acquire the data without a warrant, right? That's the kind of stuff that gets thrown out of court. So when you hear these fact checkers say, oh, you can't trust GPS data, we trust GPS data all the time. All the time for criminal prosecutions, for monitoring defendants. I mean... A, a very a very small number of illegal aliens who are detained at the U.S.-Mexico border are given ankle monitors. Very small percentage. Not all of them. Some of them are given ankle monitors to monitor where they go. Why is it that that is admissible in court? Why is it that that can prove someone's guilt? Why is it that the January 6th protesters are having their GPS data turned against them, but the minute that an a organization tries to use GPS data to talk about election fraud, all, all of a sudden it's not... It's not believable anymore. You see how this isn't a real fact check? It's not a real fact check what they're doing. Not at all. The pattern of life bit was interesting because because that's important. People go about their daily lives, and just because they drive past a ballot drop box doesn't mean anything. But if they are driving and stopping at ballot drop boxes, that is more significant than if they were just to drive by stopping at the ballot drop boxes are significant. When they stop at two ballot drop boxes, three, four, five, that's significant. When they go to a nonprofit after to pick up more ballots and then they go to five more, that's significant. That's how they were able to set the parameters for who should be included in their quote unquote dragnet because they can't look at everyone. And remember, these are anonymous. Every bit of data point that they get is anonymous. They can't see who the person's name is. It's just random data points from one user. And it is possible that someone could have multiple devices on their person at once and it could register as multiple users when looking at the data. That is also very possible. But it's a good starting point. It's a good starting point. If you see that at 2 a.m. Someone who had stopped at a, if you see someone stop at a Democratic nonprofit right before closing time, and then they go home and then they go from home to stopping at all different ballot drop boxes, stay there for a couple minutes, that's something that is worthy of looking into. So I forget the actual number. They have millions of minutes. I think it was was it thirty-seven thousand hours? It was millions of minutes of footage. So not only did True the Vote look at all of these geolocation data points, but they also got the footage uh, from the cameras that were monitoring these drop boxes. So if someone showed up through their analysis of hey this person went to a nonprofit, a Democrat-leaning nonprofit, and then visited five, seven, ten drop boxes in the middle of the night. Let's see what that was. Let's see if they were there. And as True the Vote shows, there are instances where it lines up, where the person uh, that they suspected of being a ballot harvester, they can see on video that they are shoving piles of ballots into ballot drop boxes at the same time that the geolocation data says they were there. So the argument that, oh, they were just driving past, they're just, they're just delivery drivers. There's taxi drivers. It's not a real argument because they take the geolocation data and then they put it alongside the video footage because they can't just watch all the video footage. That'd be insane. I bet you they probably have. They probably, (laughs) they probably Put it out to a bunch of people, had a bunch of people watch it. No one person could watch millions of minutes of footage. But it becomes a lot easier when you have the geolocation data to pare it down. So you don't have to watch everything. You just have to watch the, the segments in time that are highlighted by what the geolocation data is telling you. The geolocation data is telling you. There, there's another bit from the fact check. Here we go. The claim that Truth Vote makes is that there were a number of people who were identified as ballot harvesters mules in Georgia whose anonymous phone ID number, because while you don't know their name, you can't tell that they are the same person. The ones suspected of harvesting in Georgia were also present during Antifa riots in Atlanta in the summer of 2020. Now, <laughs> the Associated Press, which I don't know why Breitbart decided to publish this, Associated Press says, fact check, setting aside the fact that the film doesn't prove those individuals were collecting ballots at all. It also can't prove their political affiliations. Anonymized data, true the vote, track, doesn't explain why someone might have been present at a protest demanding justice for black deaths at the hands of police officers. This is not a fact check. This is opinion. This is commentary. Quote, the individuals who were tracked there could have been violent rioters, but they also could have been peaceful protesters, police, or firefighters responding to the protests, or business owners in the area. Yeah, that's that's what it is. That's what it is. The people who are stuffing the ballot boxes... We're also the ones putting out the fires. So that, that must be it. This must be a, just a, a right wing conspiracy. But that's their idea of a fact check. I think where, where 2000 Mules gets off a little bit is when they definitively claim things. I, I, I agree to the extent that this doesn't prove. This doesn't prove. It, it takes law enforcement to investigate for prosecutors to indict and for someone to be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law to prove that, that election fraud was committed. But just because this falls short of that doesn't mean it isn't interesting and doesn't mean it isn't worthy of further investigation. Where I think 2,000 mules gets a little off course is when they do call for further investigations, but when they make definitive claims, not just in how many total ballots were harvested and collected, basically making inferences based on their, the average numbers they saw, but also when they start talking about what the election results would have been. Yeah, it's reasonable. I'll go ahead and put that up on the screen. I was going to do it later. But this is, this is the, the screenshot that 2,000 Mules put on the screen showing that if you take certain states off the board by saying they were stolen through ballot harvesting, Trump gets 305 electoral votes, Biden gets 233. And yeah, that, that, this is, these are numbers, these are maps that we were all chasing. In the lead up to the election, after the election, trying to stop certain results from being certified. Unless you prove it, though, these are these are theories. We have to re- remember these are theories, theories they have about what would have happened if X, Y and Z didn't. It takes more investigation. It takes well, we have to see the data first, right? We have to see all the data, release all the data. It shouldn't be hard. But These are all theories where they I think they get a little bit off track is when they present these as certainties, as Trump won the election, this is why, proved it. You need more. We need to see the data. We need to see all of the footage. But at the same time, if you're a fact checker, you can't discredit everything that this documentary, everything that Dinesh D'Souza, everything that True the Vote found. You cannot discredit it and say, oh, well, they didn't prove it. No, it's not how this works. You can't say that they didn't prove it because he wasn't convicted. Well, they can't. They can't convict him. They're, they're just... Presenting you with evidence to discredit it. you Can't do it. You can't do it at all. So I want to play a couple of the, the clips from this. And if you haven't seen it, again, I recommend that you watch it. Talked a little bit already about the GPS data. It's important. And remember, GPS is not the only data that is coming from your phone that advertisers can use. I mean, I am well aware of the different types of data that advertisers can use to market to you based on what you're doing. They mentioned it in that clip we played earlier about how if you have a, a, a grocery store's app installed on your phone and you give it permission to watch your location, when you walk into the store, all of a sudden you'll get a notification telling you, hey, here are the sales for the day. Hey, here are the, the, the best deals. Hey, go to this aisle and pick up this and you, and you get one of these free. I'm sure you've all experienced this, but that's what big companies are doing now. Not even big, you can do it as a small company too. But there are other sensors Other sensors as well. There's uh, In many phones, there's a barometer. There's a barometer that can help determine your altitude. But there's also other sensors. GPS can determine altitude, right? There's a a gyroscope and there's an accelerometer. I mean, one of the craziest things that happen is based on your acceleration and a sudden stop with your uh, gyrometer, you can tell if someone just had a car accident you can tell if someone has just had a car accident. So it's possible to get that data from third party providers. And if say you are an ambulance chasing attorney, it is possible to advertise, to advertise to people that you suspect just got in a car crash. Why? Because their accelerometer, they were driving, 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 all of a sudden they stopped still. And they stood for a couple minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes in an intersection. Well, Based on that data, you can infer that they got into a car crash and you can advertise to those people. It's not 100%, but you can do it. It's possible. It's really creepy what companies can do advertising, marketing wise, based on the many sensors that you have in your phone. They can tell how high up you are, they can tell um, what story in a building you're at. So if they know that, if they want to target specific people working in a specific office building, and they know that the higher up in the building, the the higher up in the company, right? That the executives are at the top level. They don't just look at where you fall on planet Earth. They also look at your elevation. They can target you based on where you are in the building. I mean, it's really creepy stuff, but it's real. It's real. And plenty of companies are spending tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars on this a year because they know it's real, because they know it works. Again, to see that these fact checkers are claiming that it doesn't is a little funny. I wanna play a couple clips, as I said, of two of the most convincing parts of this film that I think are worth talking about. The first is a woman who dropped off ballots wearing gloves. I wanna play the entire clip of this. Let's go ahead and play cut 12.
1: Let's look at another one. Yeah, let's take a look at- uh,
2: Interesting thing about this person is the device seems to live in South Carolina. So this person isn't even from Georgia. She was here uh, during both election cycles, uh, but is not a resident of the state.
1: But as she approaches the drop box, she never looks at the trash can, right? She's looking the other way. But the other thing she has is she has gloves on. What one of our analysts noticed was these surgical gloves only appeared from December 23rd forward in the runoff. So we didn't see a lot of them previous to December 23rd and we couldn't figure out why. And then it just dawned on us, well, on December 22nd, there was an indictment handed down in Arizona for people that had stuffed ballots, and the way the FBI nailed them was fingerprints. And then lo and behold, the next day and and days forward. So this video is now from the Georgia runoffs. This 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 is is January of 21. This particular
2: one is at approximately one o'clock in the morning on January the 5th.
1: Stuffs her ballots in there. It's like a small stackish, maybe three, maybe four. Takes them off, and then puts them in a trash can that she never looked at. So she knew it was there. She knew it was there, right? And so we have her on a number of locations. Wow. She's an
2: out-of-state it. mule, and in this is in no way the only drop box that she attended. That's right. No, she she's, goes to dozens and dozens over the course of these two elections. Who's next? So
0: I got, I got to fact check him because technically the indictment was handed down, I believe, on December 7th. Yes, that's when the indictment was handed down in that case in Arizona they were talking about, but it was sealed. It was unsealed on December 22nd, and it was finally reported on on December 23rd. Um, so this was a real case in Arizona where two women were indicted as ballot harvesters. And the way that they were caught was because their fingerprints among other reasons, their fingerprints were on the ballots they were stuffing into the ballot drop boxes. So to see that footage and to hear them say that they've gone through all of these videotapes and they didn't start seeing latex gloves until after this indictment was unsealed is incredibly telling. Because it, it doesn't just show criminality, it also shows the conspiratorial aspect of it. Because it's not, it's not just that these ballot harvesters were dropping ballots in these drop boxes. It's that they were working with organizations. Organizations that presumably have legal counsel and presumably sent out a memo saying, hey, this just happened yesterday. Make sure all of your harvesters wear gloves. So lo and behold, they show up wearing gloves. When you look at the fact checks, what the fact checks say is they say that these people wore latex gloves because it was cold. Because it was cold. Of course. Of course. Because when I'm cold, I choose to wear gloves of really thin, one mil latex. That, that makes the most sense, right? Not And forgetting about the fact that it was Georgia, we're not talking about the frozen tundra of North Dakota. We're talking about Georgia. but It still can get a little chilly at night. But the idea that people wore latex gloves just after this indictment was unsealed because it was cold. No, I don't buy that. Not at all. Then the fact checkers say it was because of COVID. Because of COVID. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess theoretically people could be afraid of it. But then they would have kept wearing gloves before this indictment was unsealed in Arizona. So if it was COVID-based, you would have been seeing these people wearing latex gloves the entire time of the general election and the runoff. Instead, you only see it after this indictment was unsealed. So it's, it's all hogwash. And, and when they say that they they, this woman dropped off ballots at 1 a.m., I mean, come on, don't we all vote at 1 a.m.? Who here has not voted for four or five different people at 1 a.m.? I mean, isn't that the way it works? 1 a.m. when no one else is around, that's when you, that's when you vote for five people, wearing your, wearing your latex gloves, taking pictures of ballots after you drop. That's the important one. I, I cut that before the next clip. I want to play the next clip because they have other videos of people stuffing ballot boxes, which again, the only way they were able to find these people was through geolocation data, finding the people who were going to different drops, seeing what kind of footage they had, and then checking the footage from the times, during the times that the geolocation data says they were there. That's how they caught that woman. They didn't just watch every minute of footage until they found something. They followed the data. So again, when the fact checkers say, it could have been a delivery driver. No, the footage backs up the data. I'm sure there are a number of people that got caught in the initial dragnet that they said, oh, these are harvesters that turned out to be librarians just going from library to library to library, right? Or police officers going from library to town hall to the post office, right? It's possible. But that's not what these cases are because they backed it up with the video footage. This next clip. Yeah, and Bamalama says in the comment section, if it was because they were cold, they wouldn't have taken their clothes off. Excellent point. And thrown it in the trash can that they didn't look at, they just knew was there. Excellent point. So this next clip, I want to play this next clip. This is a bike mule, a, a ballot harvester on a bike, dropping off a ton of ballots. And what's interesting about this is after he drops off the ballots... He freaks out because he forgot to take a picture of the ballots. Now, anyone who's ever used worked in the economy or had things delivered to their house, whether it be food, Amazon packages, it is commonplace nowadays for the delivery man or woman to take a picture showing where they dropped off the box. I just looked for one of my own. This was a package that got dropped off at my door yesterday, day before of the delivery driver taking a picture, proving that he did the delivery. That's the way he can prove that he did his job. Yes, it sends it to me. It it shows me that it happened, right? But it really protects him and it protects the company, showing that, no, this actually did happen. The delivery was made. In this clip, you'll see a man on a bicycle dropping off a bunch of ballots, again, in the middle of the night, and then realize, oopsie-daisy, forgot to take a picture Like cut
1: 13. I'm in. But you also see him get sort of frustrated as he starts to leave, because guess what? At this point, they had started requiring the mules, apparently, to take pictures of the stuffing of the ballots. It appears that that's how they get paid. So they take a picture and stuff it in. They take a picture, not a selfie, but a picture of the the actual ballot going in. But this guy gets frustrated, so he actually has to park his bike, get off.
2: So, if you were there just casting your own ballot, what reason in the world would you have to come back and take a picture of the box?
1: Then he kneels down, looking around, takes some pictures.
0: Takes a picture. Could have left. He was in the process of leaving. Instead, he came back to take a picture. Again, anyone who's ever worked in the gig economy, gotten things delivered, whether it's DoorDash, Grubhub getting food, you know that they take a picture showing that they delivered the food. Otherwise, they can get burned. And they say, oh, we deliver the food. The person you got says, no, I never got it. They have no proof. And that's how they get paid, proving that they made the delivery. You see, in this instance, in that video clip, he drops multiple ballots off, goes to leave, remembers he should have taken a picture, oopsie-daisy, stops bends over, takes a picture of the Dropbox, I guess to, to substitute for the ballots themselves, and then leaves. I, I cannot imagine why someone in the middle of the night would find the need to legitimately drop off a bunch of ballots, go to leave, and then stop and say, wait, I need to take a picture of the Dropbox. What, for posterity? What, for the scrapbook? Come on. Come on. Of course, we know why. We know why he did it. We can infer why he did it. And it's not the only one. There are other pictures and videos that they released. Here's a still frame from the documentary from True the Vote showing a guy standing in front of a ballot drop box, fanning out all of the ballots in his hand, fanning them out. And you can see him holding his phone, taking a picture, all of them, showing that he was at the drop box with all the ballots and they're all getting submitted no, apparently we're supposed to believe that those dozens of ballots in that man's hand were all legitimately uh, adult-aged children living with him at home or people in hospice care who signed over legally to him the right to turn in their ballots. That's what, that's what the fact-checkers want us to believe. Sometimes what you see is just what it is. I mean, there is a famous saying in medicine when they teach doctors as doctors are going through medical school. There's a famous line that doctors are always taught. It's that when you hear hoofbeats, you should think horses, not zebras. And that's more of a diagnostic tool. But if someone comes in with a fever, you should, you should think it's the cold, it's the flu before you start looking at rare diseases from sub-Saharan Africa, right? You know what I mean? You should, you should focus on what it most likely is. Yes, it's possible that the hoofbeats you hear, <laughs> it's a herd of galloping zebras. But unless you live on the Sahara or the Sahel, the odds of it being zebras, zero. Or I guess if you work in a zoo, odds of it being zeros, zebras are zero. So you should assume it's horses. When I look at this, and I look at all these videos of people Dropping off multiple ballots. I mean, there are videos in this documentary of people dropping off so many ballots, they can't even fit them all through the slot at once. And it's obviously their first time doing it. They get, they get kind of scared, don't know what to do, trying to push through as, as many ballots as they can. When you see a man taking a picture of a bunch of ballots fanned out in his hand in front of the ballot drop box. You think horses, not zebras. You think this is a ballot harvester, not someone taking a picture for his family scrapbook. I mean, that's what logic would tell you. But no, the fact checkers say that you should assume it's just completely legitimate. Completely, completely legitimate. So I I highly recommend that you watch this documentary. There's a lot of good stuff. Again, as I said earlier, I think that the documentary gets a little bit too far ahead of its skis. I think we all can look at this and say, yes, there was fraud, right? The hard part is proving it in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt. Now we can all know it, right? We all know that this happened and we can all believe that the numbers that they say are what happened and chances are they they are, right? I mean, (laughs) just because... We, we see it. We see the battle harvesters right in front of us and then they show us, which they haven't. They, they tell us. They need to show us. They tell us about the geolocational data. They make the assumptions, the inferences based on the averages they found. They come up with that number, 400,000. So yeah, that is just as good of a theory as any other one. And because you have the video evidence, it is incredibly powerful. Where I think it gets a little bit out in front of its skis is when they say, Trump won. I think we all know that Joe Biden didn't win. I mean, someone the other day asked me, and said, do you really really not believe that Joe Biden got 81 million votes? I said, no, I believe that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. I just don't believe he got 81 million votes from 81 million voters. It's as simple as that. Yeah, those are real ballots. Those are real votes being cast. But they're not real voters. Those are ballots that probably got stolen off of someone's front porch, stolen out of the uh, mailroom in apartment complexes, stolen, as we've, as I've covered in the past, at length, stolen from uh, nursing homes and hospice care facilities. These are not legitimate ballots. No one goes to drop off five, six, seven, eight, eight ballots at 1 a.m. wearing rubber gloves and then take a picture of it. It's just not what people do. So, Again, I highly recommend you watch it. There's ways you can watch it for free. You can also pay to watch it at this point. I believe it's going into theaters, so it might be a little cheaper than paying for at home watching. You want to see it in theaters. I think it's going into theaters this week, which is why those fact checkers are working overtime to convince you you not to go see it. They don't want to have the success at the box office. But go, go see it. Look for yourself and read the fact checks. Read the fact checks and you'll see just how many holes there are in these fact checks. Now, if you enjoyed this breakdown, you enjoyed this kind of logical walkthrough, I highly recommend, if you haven't already, pick up my book, The Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Gun Control Argument, available on Amazon and in Barnes & Noble. Links are in the description. The same kind of logic, walking through every single kind of gun control argument, giving you the tools to dismantle it. I highly recommend that you get my book, um, put my heart and soul into it, and lots of people have said, how can we support the channel? If you buy the book, I get a couple bucks. (laughs) So that's one way to do so. But yeah, I recommend you watch it and watch the videos and remember that you've seen all of these kinds of things in the past, right? I played this earlier. I'll play it again. I can click on it. You remember this clip from Philly. You remember this clip from Philly of of a woman stuffing ballot boxes into, stuffing ballots into the ballot box on election day, right? And you look at that and you, you know something just isn't right. And then you can look at Pennsylvania law, which I just put on the screen. I forgot to mention this earlier. Pennsylvania law, you look at the law surrounding actual ballot drop boxes and, and who's allowed to drop off a ballot for another person. The law is very specific. It can only be in a case of an emergency absentee ballot where someone has fallen ill or became disabled in between the, f- the first Friday before an election or 8 p.m. on the day of the election. So you have to fall ill or disab- become disabled between Friday and Tuesday you fall in there, then yes, someone can drop off a ballot on your behalf, but there's lots of paperwork that has to be done. Ask yourself whether you think that woman dropping off 20-some-odd ballots in a ballot drop box. Ask ask yourself whether you think she did all that paperwork. And listen, these are all theories, right? But as we build these cases, as we build these theories up, is harder and harder and harder to believe that Joe Biden's victory was legitimate. Many of us, myself included, have already made up our mind months ago, years ago. I guess a year and a half ago, somewhere around there. We've already made up our mind because we've seen the evidence. The purpose of this documentary is not to convince us. We've already either been convinced or the people who are unconvincible. The purpose of this documentary is to convince The average Republican, the average conservative voter who has not been watching this the whole time. And in that regard, I think this does an excellent job. I think that I think that this documentary does an excellent job of presenting what we've all been reading and I've been covering for over two years in a way that the average person can understand and it shocks them, shocks them to their core, shocks them into taking action. Which I think it's very telling that Fox News has completely refused to air any of this. about any of this it's the most successful political documentary in over a decade and it's absent on fox news very very interesting if you haven't already if you're watching on rumble please do hit the plus button um the rumble button right right below the video help me reach more people organically that's the easiest way you can do so um also subscribe if you haven't already subscribed little green subscribe button i think it's green might be green on mobile hit the subscribe button subscribe to receive more of these videos Go live 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Yesterday, I was off. I had to be off because my son had to go to the dentist. Other than that, 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, that's when you can find us here. Uh, if, you have, if you like the show, you, can, you should also subscribe to the Audio Edition. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible, all great places. But if you have an iPhone, a MacBook, an iPad, please do leave um, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Help me climb up in the rankings. That's the way to do it. Gotten some trolls leaving bad reviews, whatever. I don't really care. They're going to do what they're going to do. Um, if you like the show, please do leave a five-star review so I can climb up in those rankings. So yeah, that's going to be it for this edition of the Max McGuire Show. I hope you liked it. I hope everyone who said you don't talk about election fraud anymore, I hope this can assuage your concerns. But also, I hope that this can wake some people up. So do share this if you haven't already. That's it for this edition of the Max McGuire Show. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country is not over yet. But the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together. See you Monday.